This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 104 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us again. Lots to discuss on this episode. Week one in the books for Rutgers football, an impressive debut in 2021 with a 61-14 victory over Temple. And really just uh, the defense and special teams was dominant. Believe it or not, 61 points offense did struggle at times, but so much to like about this performance and and obviously uh, increases hope going into Syracuse this weekend. In addition to football, uh, a huge weekend for Rutgers sports. Labor Day weekend, they went 9-0. Rutgers volleyball went 3-0 with wins over Central Connecticut State, Lafayette, and UConn at the UConn Challenge, winning that tournament. Impressive start for volleyball, off to 5-1, and will host NC State this Friday night at the rack on a nationally televised match on the Big Ten Network. So that program really uh, has an opportunity to uh, have the spotlight shown on them early on in the season. Uh, Head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer really making progress already in year two. Women's soccer had a great weekend as well. Two wins. They uh, dominated previously unbeaten Mammoth, who were 4-0 coming in, beat them 6-0. And then uh, on Sunday, they defeated LaSalle 5-0. Really the impressive thing about this team is uh, 14 different players have been involved with scoring this season through four games. And it's the first time in program history they've scored five or more in four consecutive games. I I think the struggles with this program in the past are, are not struggles, but what's held them back from having even more success has been an inconsistent offense that's been reliant on one or two players where so far you're seeing, you know, so many different options on offense uh, that this team can use. Frankly, Tyler Ferry from Penn State, huge, you know, All-American transfer has just been um, outstanding so far. Five goals, five assists early on. The freshmen have made a big impact. Kylie Daigle had two goals this weekend. Matt uh, Riley Ternan has five assists. Uh, just so much to like about this team heading into uh, this week. Uh, they'll uh, play Princeton on Thursday with that Big Ten opening match looming on September 19th against defending champ and rival Penn State. A real opportunity for them to get off on the right foot in Big Ten play. Moving on, men's soccer continues one twice uh, twice as well, beating Princeton last week. And then last night, Monday night, beat Mount St. Mary's 2 to nothing. They're now 3-0-1 on the season, have not a lot of goal all year. The best start to a season in terms of a scoreless streak since the 1990 national champion finalist uh, Rutgers team that uh, was led by Alexi Lalas. So Jim McKeldry really uh, off to a good start as well. The offense has been a little bit inconsistent, but the defense has been spectacular with Oren Asher in goal. And then field hockey, nationally ranked field hockey team uh, already has beaten two uh, ranked teams uh, in Duke the opening weekend and then just took down number six UConn in double overtime uh, on Friday night. Huge win for head coach Maris Civico. This team has real uh, aspirations for a Big Ten Championship and even a national championship, and they're 3-0 to start the season. Uh, And again, uh, buoyed by some newcomers with that veteran core, they really uh, look uh, very strong early on in the season. But to get us ready for week two with college football, with Rutgers taking on former Big East foe Syracuse, we're going to welcome in two people that uh, are very knowledgeable about both teams. And obviously, we'll have a lot to say for Syracuse. I welcome uh, old friend Ben Stevens, former host of the Big Ten Locked In podcast that I appeared on many times. And he is now a host of the morning after at Sports Grid betting site. And he is also a Syracuse alum, so looking forward to speak to him. And then former On The Banks podcast host Lance Glenn is back. First time as a guest to join me to talk about Rutgers and what he saw last week and what he expects this week coming up. So, you know, I'm leaving my ego at the door of this episode. Both uh, guests have a lot more hosting experience than I do, and I'm excited to talk to them both now. It is my pleasure to now welcome in former host of the On the Banks podcast and good friend Lance Glenn. Lance, thanks so much for being here. And how does it feel to be back as an actual guest? Uh, No, Aaron, thanks so much for having me. It feels kind of weird. You know, it's it's been a while since I've uh, been a part of the On the Banks podcast in, in any in any way, but I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be talking to you. I'm glad that our Scarlet Knights uh, started the season one and zero, and I'm excited to be talking Rutgers here on a positive note. I'm much more excited than I would be if we were talking on a negative note. So uh, I'm looking forward to the game against Syracuse. Let's get started. 
And of course, I botched the intro. I forgot to introduce your new role as national podcast producer for 24-7 Sports. So you, you've hit the big time now. So thank you for taking a little bit of time to, to come back and talk to us. No, always. And I, you know, I got to thank you because, you know, I look back on it. I, if I hadn't had the opportunity I did with On the Banks to start in podcasting, who knows if I would have even been qualified for the role that I'm in now. So um, I owe all of my success to On the Banks and, and to starting with you and the On the Banks podcast. So, you know, any way I can give back uh, to the site, you know, I'm always I'm always willing to uh, willing to help in any way, shape or form. You know that. Well, that's nice of you to say. And I do know that. But uh, I think your success is all because of you. So. Moving on, let's talk about football. Week one, 61 points. You know, Rutgers has never beaten Temple the way they beat them uh, this past weekend. What were your initial thoughts from the opening week performance? So I was actually at the game, and I will say, you know, my voice is hoarse. I don't know if you can hear it in the audio. I got very sunburnt, um, which I'm still recovering from. But, you know, all in all, it was just a great performance by the defense and the special teams. And I'll get to the offense a little bit later, but the defense and the special teams, you really couldn't have asked for more, you know, from really the first series that Temple had the ball, which ended up resulting in a safety. The defensive line was just getting after Dewan Mathis nonstop. Even when he was releasing the ball, they were getting pressure on him. They were hitting him. They were making his life really difficult every time he dropped back to pass. And then when you look at special teams, you know, I'm surprised that teams and Temple, frankly, were even thinking about kicking it to Aaron Cruikshank. You know, how many long kickoff returns or punt returns does he have to have for teams to realize that it's just not a good idea to put the ball in his hands in the open field. You know, there was one long punt return later in the game. There was the kickoff return earlier in the game that I thought he was maybe one or two guys away from taking into the house, which would have been very exciting. But nevertheless, he put Rutgers in great field position. On the flip side, Adam Corsak did what Adam Corsak always does. The first punt of the game, downing it at the one. I mean, you know, he is such a weapon to have to be able to flip the field. I know there were a couple rumblings too. A couple times where Rutgers fans at the game, and I'm sure watching on TV, thought that maybe he could take it himself and try for a little bit of a of a sneak to get the first down, but he punted each time. And, you know, whenever he does that, we know that the punt is going to be a great one. They all were. And, you know, Rutgers special teams, since Graciano has been back, has been a real stable for them. And it continued in game one, and I'm sure we'll continue the rest of the season. Yeah, I think Crookshank has just been such a huge pickup for Rutgers. I mean, you look at, you know, Wisconsin losing to Penn State. I think they scored 14 points. I, I actually tweeted this. You, you have to imagine they could have used him on Saturday. And, you know, the way that Rutgers is, even though Crookshank hasn't put up big numbers in the receiving game, you know, he did have the second most catches last season. And I'm really excited to see how they use him this year moving forward. Talking about the offense, you know, uh, obviously Nova draw struggled early on. Um, the second half, you know, it seemed like Rutgers kind of wore Temple down. The offensive line even was able to uh, to get some push that they weren't able to get in the first half. You know, what was your overall thoughts on the offensive performance and what are your concerns moving forward? Well, look, I think the offense was definitely helped by the fact that the defense was able to create turnovers and obviously get them in short fields early in the game. The one thing I wish I saw more, and we knew this was going to be an issue this season, whether it's early in the season or late in the season, the offensive line, they just weren't able to establish the run. You know, a team like Temple, where you should have the advantage offensive line versus defensive line, you know, the holes weren't big enough for Isaiah Pacheco, Uh, a lot of dancing in that backfield for him um, and for Kyle Manungai. Um, as well. Look, they were able to get six rushing touchdowns. So, you know, you can't be so devastated by the the ground game because they were able to take advantage uh, of short fields. Like I said, they were able to uh, take advantage of short yardage situations, which was always a positive to see, especially with Johnny Langan back there. But you would have hoped that they would have been able to really assert themselves using the run game early, and they just were unable to do that. Now, look, you know, Noah Vedral obviously caught some flack from his performance for the game. Some of it I blame to just being early in the season. You know, obviously, it seems like defenses take a little shorter to get acclimated than offenses do. Some of his throws were a little off target. Sometimes it seemed that the receivers were not able to get as much separation from the defense as they should have. But look, he has to be better. And I'm sure he acknowledges that and and realizes that he has to be better for Rutgers to be successful against Syracuse and in a Big Ten conference play. I think he only threw for about 130 to 140 yards. I might be even uh, going a little bit over there. And obviously, I think 40 or so of them were on that touchdown pass to Bo Melton, which was a short out. 
and then Bo took it the rest of the way. Um, but he has to be better. He has to be better throwing the ball. He has to be better, you know, getting the ball out quick. I thought, especially when he clearly wasn't in sync, that they should have set up more plays for him to just take the snap, set his feet and release. You know, don't make him think too much. Give him a couple reads just to get his confidence going again, get the ball out, get some completions and get the offense moving in the right direction. But look, they were able to obviously take advantage of the opportunities that Temple gave them in the short field, in short yardage situations. And that's really all you could ask for. Rutgers kind of asserted their dominance as the game went on. Temple's defense kind of wore down because they were on the field so much. And the 61 points, you got to be happy with it. Could there be changes? Sure. But, you know, when you outscore a team by 47 points, you know, you don't want to be too negative. Uh, so overall, I was I was happy with just how the team played overall. I'm sure there are things to work on for Syracuse coming up this Saturday. Yeah, I think that that's all all really good points. I, I think one thing that may have hurt Vedral is just that, you know, I think that the play calling was held back a little bit in anticipation of playing Syracuse this weekend. You know, it obviously was, a, I wouldn't say vanilla, but I wouldn't say it was uh, had anything special uh, in it as well. So, you know, uh, if you unleash the playbook for uh, Vedral, you know, perhaps um, he's going to be a little bit more comfortable and able to showcase everything. So something to look for this weekend. Just in terms of kind of week one overreactions or, or, or not, you know, does their performance change your expectations for this season? Or is it really just way too early to know based on who they played? Yeah, it doesn't really change my opinion of how the rest of the season will go. I thought the game, full disclosure, I thought the game was going to be closer than it was. I was texting with friends uh, in a group chat and I said, I thought Rutgers was going to win. I thought Temple was going to cover the, I think at the time, 14 and a half spread when the game kicked off. Lo and behold, obviously Rutgers not only won, but they ended up winning big. But look, I still expect, as I think most fans do, and still believe they can go 3-0 in the non-conference. They obviously had to get this first one out of the way. Syracuse seems to be the bigger of the remaining two. Now, I wouldn't discount Delaware, and this is a conversation for another day, but Delaware is a very good FCS team. So you never want to discount FCS teams when they come to power five schools. We've seen time and time again in the past where FCS teams come and ultimately end up upsetting whoever they play. But Syracuse seems like the more difficult of the two. But like I said, just because they beat Temple 61-14, even if they would have beaten Temple 28-14, I still would have expected them to go to Syracuse or I still expect them to go to Syracuse this weekend and win. So it doesn't really change much for me. Maybe some of the other results in the Big Ten kind of change how I think of some games. But in terms of how I view Rutgers so far this season, the blowout win over Temple doesn't necessarily change everything from my perspective. I agree. And I'm with you. I, I thought Temple would cover as well. So, and listen, it was 26-14 in the third quarter. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I think what's going to be interesting, especially if it happens this week, is, is being in a nip and tuck game, you know. Again, that kind of happened last year with Michigan State. All those takeaways really kind of just changed the whole whole scope of the game. When it's a more kind of normal or traditional start, how is Rutgers going to respond when, you know, it's a it's a one-possession game in the second half? You know, especially now with Syracuse, you know, you're going to be in, in front of fans for the first time in two years. Uh, Rutgers fans know the Dome can be an intimidating place when it's, uh, you know, uh, fully, fully packed. I'm not quite sure what to expect this weekend at Syracuse, but um, I'm sure it's going to be a new environment for this team to to adapt to at least initially so just in terms of any players that maybe you know surprised you or stuck out in a way that maybe hey you know they might be a bigger factor this season than we had initially thought anyone that comes to mind I mean I think it's got to be Kyle Manungai two rushing touchdowns I thought that maybe Jameer Wright Collins was going to get more play than he did um, obviously, Aaron Young is back there, too, with Isaiah Pacheco. And Pacheco's always, obviously always going to be the starter. And Rutgers has clearly shown that they like to use multiple running backs. Um, but Manunga, I think, really, really showed out. I mean, I know he had that one uh, touchdown run with the the uh, truck at the end of it um, that I know Rutgers football was tweeting out. And that's always nice to see. Seems like a, a, a running back that's tough to bring down, which is good. Um, and certainly not afraid to... Uh, to take out contact and dish it as well. But he really surprised me. And it's good to see, you know, he he's a young running back, has has many years of eligibility left, especially after last year with, with the COVID season, not necessarily counting for him against his eligibility. Um, so he was a real 
a real bright spot to see. I also, I, I liked seeing Holland Pierce in there late in the game. He stands out on that offensive line, to say the least. He is a he is a big guy, and he was definitely getting some push against that Temple defensive line late in the game. Now, is that going to be the same if he has to go in against, let's say, Wisconsin when they play them later in the year? Is that going to be the same when they go against Northwestern? You know, it, it obviously changes when you have these more talented teams and when you get into Big Ten play. But for his first real taste of competition and playing time on the field, it was impressive to see the push that he could get. And look, you know, he certainly has the size. There's no no doubt about that. It's just a matter of if he can develop enough, if his technique can develop enough to maybe as the season goes on, push for a, a starting spot and end up really asserting his his strength and his power uh, into this Rutgers offensive line. Yeah, I agree on both points. Both players, I think, are, are definitely intriguing guys uh, that could really add, I think, a, a proponent to, to the offense this season. Um, I thought defensively, you know, I was, I think Max Melton, you know, he, he showed signs last year. Obviously, that pick six, the way he took it uh, this year. But overall, I thought he played really well. And, um, you know, it's great to see the Melton brothers scoring a back-to-back touchdowns and, you know, a true Rutgers family with both their parents being former uh, student-athletes at Rutgers. But I think that, you know, Max Melton's development I mean, the secondary is not deep. And uh, I think his ability to step up even more so this year is really crucial uh, to the defense. So it was great to see him play well. So let's get to the elephant in the room. The surprise news on the eve or second eve or eve take two after the game was postponed on Thursday and rescheduled for Saturday. Friday night, the news breaking that the highest rated quarterback prospect in Rutgers history, Gavin Wimsett, was uh, foregoing the rest of his senior year at Owensboro High School in Kentucky to join the program uh, and has joined the program as of Monday. Head coach Greg Schiano has talked about it both after the game on Saturday and in his game week press conference on Monday. The plan is he's, you know, officially a student. He started classes this week. He, uh, I believe, will begin practice on Tuesday. You know, there's going to be, there's a rule about seven days practicing with the team before you're eligible. So I I don't think he's going to be even, you know, traveling for Syracuse, although Schiano, surprisingly, in my mind, didn't even rule it out on Monday. But, you know, here, here it is now. The future's here. Vedral uh, Vedral struggled a little bit in week one. Wimsit is here. Uh, is it reportedly uh, a name, image, and likeness deal was the uh, the big push for that uh, six figure deal. You know he's he's here a year early. Does having Wimsit now part of this team this season? How do you think that the situation should be handled? And do you think that this could potentially change or should change expectations for what this team can accomplish this season? I have really a a two-part answer for it. Off the field and in recruiting, this is huge. It it really is huge. And now I I tweeted the night that it it broke um, and it kind of went viral. So I take a little bit of credit and it kind of went viral through Rutgers Twitter, got almost a hundred likes, you know, one of, one of my highest liked tweets. Um, I said, most importantly, what the Wimsat news does for Rutgers fans is allows us to kind of take a sigh of relief. While Gavin never did anything to indicate he was questioning his decision. We have seen the big time recruit decommit too often. Now we can relax knowing he's Rutgers bound. And, and that in itself is just so reassuring because like I said, Gavin never did anything to make anyone think that he was questioning his Rutgers commitment. In fact, everything he's ever tweeted, everything he's ever said has made it seem like he's just so solid Rutgers, regardless of what happened this season. He was so bought into what Greg Schiano and Sean Gleason were preaching. So there was really never any thought that he was going to explore other options. But until you put pen to paper in that early signing day, that opportunity to look elsewhere is always going to be there. And you know, there are going to be teams that have quarterback openings as the season progressed that I'm sure would not hesitate to reach out to Gavin Wimsett. So that possibility until he would have signed with Rutgers is always there, as I said. And the fact that he's enrolling now on the recruiting front is just so key for the Scarlet Knights future because it gets the guy that really will have a large impact on the next three to four years in your program already, as opposed to having to wait a couple months until he can officially join. When it comes to him on the field, look, I've always thought that, and I'm sure most Rutgers fans agree with me, he was going to be given every opportunity to start as a true freshman in 2022. So to be able to get him in the program now, when you really have a full season for him to work and for him to learn, that that's just so important because he can get acclimated to the culture so early. He can get acclimated to 
the offense so much earlier than he could have, even if he enrolled early in January. And he could just get used to being in a college program, being in a Big Ten strength and nutrition program. And he could be so much more prepared to fight for that starting job in 2022 by entering Rutgers now than if he were to have to wait until enrolling early in January. So that, what is it, four months extra? I might be, you know, a little off math, four or five months extra of him being in school is just going to, I think, do wonders for his development because there's always been the thought that he's still a little bit raw. I think we saw it at the Elite 11 finals. You know, he he wasn't one of the Elite uh, 11 chosen, of course, was one of the finalists in California, but the belief is that he's always just a little bit raw. So when you have a talent like him that's a little bit raw, the best thing for him is to develop in the system that he's going to be playing in for the next three, four years. So getting him in the program as early as they're able to now will just do so much for his development. And I think we'll ultimately do so much for his future with Rutgers and so much for the future of this Rutgers football program that there really is no downside to him coming to Rutgers now and and being a part of the program. Now, do I think he's going to play? I think that's kind of every Rutgers fan's question. Is Gavin Wimsack going to see the field this year? I wouldn't be shocked if he did, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he didn't. You know, I think Greg Schiano and Sean Gleason, I trust them in their development of Gavin Wimsack. If he doesn't see the field, I completely understand that. I completely understand that. If he does and plays four games just to get some snaps behind him and ultimately ruptured, I completely understand that. If we see Gavin Wimsat starting at some point this year, I completely understand that. I trust these this coaching staff in, in what they're going to do and what the plan is with him. I know that they'll obviously do what they think is right for the program, not just for this season, but for obviously the seasons going forward. So it, it really is, it's such a revelation to watch ultimately what ends up happening with Gavin Wimsat this season specifically, but for his long-term projection at Rutgers, this was definitely one of the best things that could have happened. Yeah, definitely uh, agree that getting him here obviously sets things up for the future. But what I think is now, I think the dynamic Dynamics have now changed. This is a huge test for Shiano and I think Gleason in terms of how they manage this situation. Um, you know, I think, listen, <laughs> I, I kind of equate it to this. If they can create a package for Johnny Langan, why can't they create a package for Wimsett? And I'm not saying, you know, similar type of situations to use him in, but, you know, everybody talks about, oh, he has to learn the playbook. Well, you know, creating a, a smaller playbook or package for him, you know, and giving him a series here and there. I just would not be surprised by that. I, I totally agree. He cannot be rushed. Um, the, his long-term future can't be sacrificed for anything that happens this season. But I do think it's an interesting dilemma because you have an extremely veteran team. You have nine super seniors. You have 20 starters back. You know, if you look at what next year is going to look like, while there might be more talent and depth on the depth chart next season, they're going to be far less proven and experienced. And I think there is now a interesting opportunity that's kind of opened now that, listen, this team could possibly make a bowl and, and whims it, you know, could be that difference uh, if he's able to develop quickly. And I think that, you know, certainly shouldn't be ruled out. And I think my last point on this is that this is not a traditional situation. It shouldn't be looked at in a traditional way. The whole idea of he can't be rushed, the playbook, he should redshirt all that stuff. I throw it out the window. A guy that, that leaves at 17 uh, and, and foregoes his senior year, I don't think we should be worrying about he's going to be here five years. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think what Rutgers fans need to keep in perspective is the fact that he is 17, is the fact that he should be playing high school football right now. And also take a look at what Ohio State's doing. Now, granted, obviously Rutgers and Ohio State are in very different situations. Ohio State has CJ Stroud, at quarterback, supplanted at quarterback, at least for this season. But Quinn Ewers did the same thing. In fact, he did it before Gavin Wimsett in leaving and foregoing his high school, his senior season of high school to take an NIL deal and enroll at Ohio State early. Now, Quinn Ewers, for those who aren't aware, is the number one quarterback in the 2022 class, according to 24-7 Sports. And when he became a 2021 recruit, was the number one quarterback in the 2021 class. So he is a generational type of talent uh, for the Buckeyes, and they are not rushing him. Even though he very well might be the most talented and the most gifted quarterback on the Ohio State roster right now on a in a stacked quarterback room for Ohio State, they are not rushing him. They are letting him take his time. They are letting him develop. Now, do I think he will play at some point this season? I do. Would it shock me if he starts at some point this season for the Buckeyes? It would not. But they are not rushing him. They are letting his development dictate when he will play. And if it gets to that point with Gavin Wimsett where 
his development has dictated he needs to be in the lineup, that he is the best quarterback in that room, then I'm sure Greg Shiano and Chong Gleason will not hesitate to start him. But if his development does not get there yet, Rutgers fans need to realize that this kid is still someone who is raw, still someone who is very young, still someone who has not been around the team. So fans just need to be aware that take what Ohio State's doing or look at what Ohio State's doing. They're not rushing with someone who has the potential to be the best quarterback in college football in Quinn Ewers. They're not rushing with him. So there's no reason to rush with Gavin Wimsett, even though we may think that he could be the difference between getting to a bowl or not. Because frankly, and this might not be a popular opinion, I'd rather not play Wimsett if he's not ready, I'd rather not play Wimsat and not make a bowl this year if that means that he's going to be ready in 2022 and beyond. Because if you play him, you know, and I know Rutgers fans will want to hear this, I think this is a similar situation to the way Chris Ash developed Art. Art Sikowski was not ready to play his freshman year, yet he was thrown right into the mix as a true freshman, and it clearly, clearly damaged him for the remainder of his time at Rutgers. That's the last thing we want to happen to Gavin Wimsett. If you rush Wimsett and throw him in and he's not ready, it could kill his confidence very early on in his career. And that's the last thing that this Rutgers program needs. He needs to take his time. He needs to develop. And as soon as he's ready and his development shows that he's ready, I'm sure Greg Schiano and Sean Gleason are not going to hesitate to put him in the lineup. All fair points. And I agree, obviously. Uh, and that was the point of my article is that, you know, we're already at a critical stage, I think, with this rebuild with, with, with uh, Greg Schiano, because how he handles this situation will reverberate for years to come, not just with how recruits are, are view the situation, how, you know, this is going to be how they handle it's going to be a blueprint for coaches, because it's only going to become more common that this type of situation occurs. What I think is a difference with Ohio State is that you do have CJ Stroud. Of course, you know? of course. Rutgers does not have CJ Stroud right now, a quarterback. Correct. <laughs> no Correct. offense to Noah Vedral. <laughs> so number two, you know, uh, quarterback prospect in his own class. Uh, it's an embarrassment of riches there. But uh, I, I do listen. I agree with you on that. That's why I think, listen, Gleason, one thing to know about him is that at Princeton, he ran a multi-quarterback system. So he didn't have a true starter. He played multiple quarterbacks in a game and rotated throughout. So I think his skill set and experience as an offensive coordinator is perfect for this type of situation. And that's why I just, listen, I don't expect Wimsett to start, you know, week four or maybe even start all year. But I think, um, you know, looking back on it in that experience and just what he has now, I think they're going to find a way to get him into games. Uh, obviously, that's going to have to be handled very delicately, but I think that um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get in at times, you know, with Vedral probably still the starter, but I think that, you know, that there's um, definitely going to be opportunity to groom him in a way where he gets experience, but isn't also the guy right off the bat, like Sikowski was thrown to the wolves, you know, uh, unfortunately so. Yeah, and, and you're right. And I think you hit a good point here. Him playing needs to be handled delicately. He cannot just be thrown in just to throw him in. He needs to be put into situations in games where he can succeed, where his confidence can grow, and where he won't get blasted by who I think, who was it? Nick Bosa, like Art Sitkowski was in, what was it? The final play of the first half in that game against Ohio State as a true freshman, I believe it was. He can't be put into situations like that. He needs to be put into the right situation that he can learn from, that he can grow from. And again, I, I trust, as I'm sure many Rutgers fans do, most Rutgers fans do, I trust Greg Schiano. I trust Sean Gleason in how they're going to develop Gavin Wimsad. And, and I'm confident that they will do what they think is right for him, not just this season, but ultimately long-term. Great point. And, and last thing to add on that before we move on is that the eighth week of the season is Rutgers bye week. So after Northwestern, and then they come out of the bye week facing Illinois. So I think that that's a very, very interesting it's tempting. It's tempting. setup to see where we're at at that point. You know, if there is a potential change, I think that, you know, it could happen then. But let's talk in the present. Huge game this weekend at Syracuse, former Big East foe. Syracuse beat Ohio last week, 29-9. to Not overly impressive. Did what they had to do. Very interesting case with Syracuse. You know, won 10 games and went to a bowl game in, in, in 18. Went 5-7 and seven and 19. Completely fell apart last season. 1-10. Dino Babers uh, on the hot seat. I look at this similarly to, to Chris Ash at Rutgers when he lost to BC. It just, I think it, we all knew it was over. 
you know, if Syracuse loses to Rutgers, is it over for him there? I don't know, but I think from a Rutgers perspective, this is obviously a huge opportunity. What do you expect this weekend, and and what are the keys for Rutgers to win? And ultimately, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, well, look, I expect a close game. I mean, I know the spread opened with Rutgers minus one, which frankly surprised me. I thought Syracuse being home, it would be Syracuse maybe minus two or minus two and a half solely because of the fact that they're home. I think these two teams are, are very evenly matched. I think they both have similar issues. Syracuse brought in a lot of transfers over the last couple of years on the offensive line. They have offensive line issues just like Rutgers does. They rely heavily on their running game. They have a quarterback in Tommy DeVito from New Jersey. So I'm sure a lot of fans are familiar with the name that isn't going to really wow you. He's more of a game manager, so to speak, similar to what Noah Vedral kind of is for Rutgers. So there are a lot of kind of similarities between the two teams. Rutgers, I think, has somewhat of an edge on the defensive side of the ball, specifically on the defensive line, especially if the defensive line is able to play the way they did against Temple. If they do that and mirror that against Syracuse, I think that's a huge advantage for the Scarlet Knights. As we've been saying, special teams, Rutgers, it Rutgers rarely goes into a game, no matter who they're playing, without having an advantage on special teams. They could be playing Ohio State, they could be playing Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, you name it. Rutgers more times than not has the advantage on special teams. They'll have that advantage against Syracuse and then coaching. Look, I think we saw last year, specifically, you look back at that game against Purdue, how much coaching means and how much coaching can affect the game. Rutgers and Greg Schiano, I think are just, I think he's just a better coach than Dino Babers. I think Dino Babers probably gets fired at the end of the year. I don't think Syracuse is very good. I don't think they'll have a very good season. I know they beat Ohio, but I think Dino Babers probably gets fired at the end of the year. I think his time at Syracuse probably come to an end or is beginning to come to an end. They really haven't been able to match that success they had a couple of years ago. And that year, they obviously beat Clemson too. But, you know, I, I think coaching could really play a big factor in this. You know, I trust Greg Schiano in a close game. I know fans are going to say, well, look at the first 10 year. He didn't really make many halftime adjustments, but I trust he, him and Sean Gleason and Rob Smith in a close game more than I trust, than I would trust Dino Babers if I was a Syracuse fan. So I think all of these things could play a, a big role in terms of what I think will happen. I think Rutgers is going to win the game. You know, I think this is a big opportunity. I think the players realize that the opportunity is right in front of them. Um, I know that Syracuse had a, had a good win against Iowa, uh, Ohio, excuse me, 29 to nine. Uh, they had to go on the road for that game too. Um, I don't expect the crowd to be a huge factor at Syracuse. I know it's the first game for the Orange back at home, um, first game with fans, but I really don't expect the crowd to be a huge factor for them. I, I think Rutgers probably wins a game, maybe a 24 to 20 kind of game, 24 to 21. It wouldn't shock me if they need a Valentino Ambrosio field goal at the end to win it, or they need a drive by Vedral to lead them down the field to win it at the end. Like Nothing would shock me if it kind of comes down to the last possession for Rutgers to be a, well, if they score, they'll win. If they don't, they won't. So I I do think they'll come out on top. I think they'll start 2-0. and And look, the crowd was great at SHI Stadium against Temple. And if they start out 2-0 and, and head into that Delaware game at home again uh, with the opportunity to go 3-0 before Big Ten play, I think the crowd will be even better on that Saturday when Delaware comes to town. Great points. I think uh, I agree with you. I think the one thing from from Saturday that should get more attention is the fact that, you know, with, with all the points and everything, they had one penalty and zero turnovers. And as you know, if they can do that on a regular basis, they're going to be a much better team this season. Uh, obviously, can't expect that every game, but I think playing as mistake-free as possible in the Dome, especially early on in that first half, is key. Lance Glenn, national podcast producer for 24-7 Sports, former host of On the Banks Com. Thanks so much for being here. Great talking to you. Appreciate everything you've done for us. Best of luck in the future and can't wait to have you back soon. It is my pleasure to now welcome in Ben Stevens, the host of The Morning After with the Sports Grid, former host of Locked On Big Ten and also 2016 graduate of Syracuse. Ben, happy to have you here. Thanks so much for giving us some time today. Aaron, great to be here. I know that we are talking Syracuse and Rutgers football. They pull at both ends of my heartstrings, my affinity for the Big Ten Conference, my alma mater. I love everything that Greg Schiano is doing. I'm a Dino Babers guy. I hate to see them go at it like this. We had it last year in the ACC Big Ten Basketball Challenge. It's always tough for me because I love Rutgers and Syracuse, but I'm glad to be here speaking with you today. Well, thanks so much. And just as top off of that, uh, I believe that Dino Babers was hired right at the end of your tenure as a student at Syracuse. Just give me your thoughts on his tenure. It's, it's kind of a bizarre tenure and, you know, getting to that 10 win point, uh, his third season, then uh, one win last season. What are the expectations for this year? How critical is success for this team this year? And what are your overall thoughts of the job that Babers has done? 
Yeah, Aaron, like you mentioned, right before I graduated in May of 2016, Dino Babers was officially announced as the new Syracuse football coach. And I remember doing a stand-up for my sports reporting class outside of Manly Fieldhouse, where Syracuse football practices. And speaking of this new era of all the speed in space and the quickness that Dino Babers was bringing with this high-octane offense. And honestly, he was a great salesman initially. He was a great product of that early on. And I remember a speech he gave to a Syracuse basketball crowd in the Carrier Dome, where he talked about faith being belief without evidence and everybody was like oh my god this is the guy he's going to return Syracuse to the early 90s it's going to be the Dwight Freeney and Donovan McNabb era again at SU and then obviously to end out the 2018 season when they won 10 games capped off with a bowl victory they were a top 25 team ranked at the end in that final AP poll it felt like here was the ascension of Syracuse and then he got his guy Tommy DeVito from New Jersey an elite 11 quarterback to be the helm of this high octane offense and has really fallen flat since there. 2019 was not a good year last year, only winning one game in a weird 2020 season, as we all know. So it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. It what seemed at one point Dino Babers was going to excel in this Syracuse football program might even do so well that he would get poached by a bigger power five school has now become Dino Babers is on the hot seat. If this is not a good year in 2021 for Syracuse. So it's been very up and down in the Dino Babers era, but I still think Syracuse fans think about what he can do offensively and what that might be for this football program. Obviously, as everybody knows, Syracuse is a basketball school, but still hope for success out of the football program and to knock off a Mac opponent week number one and do so in pretty impressive fashion in that win over Ohio. I think people, at least for the moment, are hopeful heading into week number two. So talking about that offense, you know, uh, it definitely seems like there's been a shift to the run game. Sean Tucker had a big game last week. What what do you think in terms of has Babers kind of changed his philosophy a little bit? And um, how critical is it for Sean Tucker, you know, and Tommy DeVito in terms of their development this season for the success for them to have? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, it was a weird kind of flip in a way because Eric Dungy was the guy that was the quarterback when Dino Babers inherited the football program. And Eric Dungy is almost like a Johnny Langan type. Like, Yeah, he plays quarterback, but really he's just an athlete who is going to try to run over people. He was not prototypically fit for this offense that Dino Babers came to fame because of his time working with Baylor in RG3, where it's spread it out all over the place and really have a downfield passing attack. And that was the idea of Tommy DeVito because he was that prototypical spread quarterback who could air it out all over the place. That has not been the case. And it seemed like at least against Ohio, they were going to focus on the ground game, establishing it from there, almost RPO style, because Tommy DeVito was getting in on the rushing attack as well. And Sean Tucker obviously had a huge game against the Bobcats, but that seems to be, I'm not sure if that is the identified plan on a week-to-week basis, but certainly from the Ohio game, that seems to be the plan of attack right now for Dino Babers, which is different than his original offensive philosophy. I'm not sure he's completely going away from this air raid style offense, but at least as of right now, that's what it seems to be the focus on Sean Tucker establishing that ground game and then building from there. And just uh, in terms of how they looked against Ohio, uh, obviously, you know, uh, solid victory coming into Rutgers, you know, what you know of Rutgers, they obviously looked really impressive against Temple. It was also Temple. You know, what, what are your thoughts in terms of what this matchup looks like going into Saturday? So I host the morning after on SportsGrid. And although our biggest partner is the FanDuel Sportsbook, who is anchored out of New Jersey, and there are no betting lines on New Jersey teams, which of course Rutgers is, I know that the spread for this game is Rutgers laying two and a half on the road in the Carrier Dome. I actually expected it to be Rutgers favored by a little bit more. And I know the misnomer of, oh, it's the Scarlet Knights. How can they even be a road favorite at any point? Well, you haven't been watching the return of Greg Schiano to the Big Ten Conference, if that's your thought. And honestly, Syracuse was... We expected it to be a very tight game against Ohio. A lot of people expected Ohio to win that game outright in the season opener for both of those teams. So I still think this is going to be a pretty even matchup between Rutgers and Syracuse. Honestly, don't tell my alma mater if they are listening to this. I give Rutgers the edge in this game just based on... Obviously, my Big Ten football knowledge is more expounded than my knowledge even of Syracuse football. And I've been so high on what I've seen from Rutgers, not only in 2020. And yes, it was Temple, but they looked very impressive. And the creativity offensively that Sean Gleason has is continuing in his second year there in Piscataway under Greg Schiano. So I still believe in what I'm seeing out of Rutgers right now. They looked incredibly impressive in their opener on Saturday against Temple after it was originally scheduled, obviously, for Thursday, but flooding in the area and their adaptability to that to look as good as they did against the Owls, I would still give the edge to Rutgers. I think the line at two and a half is pretty strong. 
Well, Ben, if it makes you feel any better, I already angered some Syracuse fans today with my Q&A with the SB Nation uh, Syracuse site because I implied, or I strongly said that, that Rutgers is an edge on special teams. And apparently that really set some people off. That, uh, really? Syracuse, I know they have a good special teams unit, but uh, as you know, Rutgers has really been strong in that area. Curious on your thoughts uh, with the special teams matchup, which, you know, who knows, could be the decider. I mean, Aaron Krupschenk is there in Piscataway. I mean, if anybody's ever seen that special teams unit for Rutgers, I think they would give the edge to Rutgers. I don't know that Syracuse took such great pride in our special teams unit. Maybe I'm missing somebody there, but I would give the edge to Rutgers. I'm not sure that's going to piss people off or not, but I would still give the edge to the Scarlet Knights. Real quick, in terms of last season to this season, you know, just in, especially with your your um, looking at things from a betting perspective, I'm curious in your thoughts on last year across college football with COVID, with the unique situation of you know uh, short or almost um, non-existent off seasons, preseasons. Um, you know, a team like Syracuse only wins one game. How how did you approach it, and what are your thoughts on kind of a readjustment this year? Uh, I guess across college football, the Big Ten, also specifically with Syracuse, in terms of how teams maybe looked last year, isn't necessarily a good indication of what they'll be like this year. I think that's a great question, Aaron, because when you look at it from a betting perspective, first and foremost, one of the biggest ways people approach the futures market into any new season, but especially college football, the NFL, is team win totals. The books out there set an adjusted team win total for how they think a team is going to perform. I'm not exactly sure what Rutgers was prior to the year. I think it was around three and a half, four, four and a half, whatever it was, because again, our biggest partner is FanDuel. They don't operate with Rutgers in the state of New Jersey. But for instance, Nebraska's was six or Wisconsin's was nine and a half. And you pretty much, do your handicapping for that team win total based on the sample size that you have from a year prior and based on the returning talent production and all that goes into handicapping and predicting a new year for a team. But it was very difficult to do that heading into 2021 based on the results we had of 2020 because it was all over the place. Teams within the same conference did not play the same amount of games. There were teams in the Big Ten that only played six games. Rutgers was one of two teams that played all nine of their scheduled games along with Penn State. So it was very hard to find a true sample size and have a true indicator of what things might look like heading in to the 2021 season. And another way of doing that is talking about the returning talent production any specific team has. But given the extra year of COVID eligibility, pretty much every team was bringing back 75, 80% of their production from the year prior. So it was difficult to do, but it was also the understanding of now for the first time in over a calendar year, all of these teams had a full offseason, full winter conditioning into spring ball, into summer workouts, fall camp. They could prepare as they were more accustomed to. And for people like Greg Schiano, although obviously he has knowledge of the Rutgers football program prior to his return this past season, but across the Big Ten, you could look at guys like Mel Tucker that came into a very interesting situation. Didn't even get to introduce himself to his team until they returned to camp in summer of 2020. So I think when you had that full offseason to really institute what you wanted in terms of your schematics, your program, your culture, all that good stuff, I think that was really huge for teams entering 2021, either for teams to develop and continue continue to grow or really for teams to set a baseline of what the expectation could be moving forward. So I think we've seen that kind of play out across college football. And that's really been the perspective heading in to this new year. So when you look at teams like Syracuse who only won one game and you're like, "Uh Oh, that was an abysmal year. All right. Was it because of the weird year that was 2020 or is that the direction of the Syracuse football program? I think 2021 for a lot of teams, a lot of programs, a lot of coaches, including Dino Babers around the country, this will be a big, big proving ground this year in 2021. All right, put you on the spot. If Rutgers beats Syracuse, is it the beginning of the end of the Dino Babers era? I don't think that just this one loss will do in Dino Babers. I do believe, though, because of how closely these programs are tied, dating back to the Big East days, obviously being in the northeastern part of the country together, and still people, rightfully or maybe not so rightfully so, in my opinion, looking at Rutgers football almost as a stepping ground or looking to move past them, it would not look kindly on Syracuse and Dino Babers. That being said, though, I think it would have to be another disastrous season in the ACC where they're only winning maybe two or three conference games and they only get to four or five wins and are not bowl eligible, that might be what does in Dino Babers. Maybe just from a, hey, you know what? You've had some success. It didn't end up working out. We need a fresh start, both of us, for you, Dino, and for us at the Syracuse football program. I don't think a loss to Rutgers, even inside the Carrier Dome, will do just that and be the needle that, or the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's what I was looking for. I almost said needle in a haystack. I know they're kind of tied together, but um, I think that it will 
maybe start some of that conversation in motion for some Syracuse fans that will be there in the Carrier Dome to watch Rutgers come in on Saturday. But I don't think it would be the be-all, end-all if Dino and the Orange do end up losing to, to Rutgers. So I know you uh, were at Syracuse post-Big uh, East for, for Rutgers and Syracuse, um, but just talk about the fans you know, uh, and obviously they met in basketball this past season. Rutgers blew the uh, opportunity for a rematch in the Sweet 16, which, as you know, still pains me to this day and always will. But is there any, uh, pun intended, any extra juice in this matchup uh, between fans uh, from a Syracuse perspective, you know, having Rutgers? And I guess, does it add importance to this game from a Syracuse perspective that, for the points you just mentioned, with recruiting with the familiarity, with the, the geographic kind of ties uh, to everything that this game brings? I think it really does. I think because of that familiarity within the same Northeast region of the country, because I'm sure they hit some of the same recruiting grounds, although if Dino Babers is stepping into New Jersey, he's got a tall task to try to out-recruit Greg Schiano. But I think just because the fans have that much familiarity with one another, I know personally that if the game that was scheduled for the 2020 season at SHI Stadium in Piscataway was going to take place, myself and a bunch of my fellow Syracuse Orange alums in the greater New York City area, we're going to try to make the trip out to tailgate in see that game last year. So I know that because of that and everything that is tied into it, certainly so there's that familiarity. And I think that extra juice because they don't want Rutgers to come into the carrier dome and pull off what they might feel is an upset. Although Rutgers is the betting favorite at the moment. I think that truly is a little bit of a motivational tool that Syracuse might rely on, but it's just that familiarity of the two fan bases, the history between the two programs, both in football and basketball dating back to the old big East days. I think because of that, it does add a little bit of added importance for Saturday's matchup. And let's hope that uh, that game originally scheduled last year, Piscataway gets rescheduled. No word on that yet. I was looking at Rutgers uh, non-conference slate. I think 2024 probably gives them the best opportunity to play Syracuse. I'm not quite sure what Syracuse has, but uh, I hope that game gets rescheduled and perhaps even the series gets extended. Quick thoughts on the Big Ten. I know you're, you're, you know, moved on from your focus on the Big Ten, but they do call you Big Ten Ben. So you have the pennants in your room as, as, as we're talking. Just your initial impressions after week one and, and specifically the Big Ten East, how you think that that division is going to shake out this year? So I think the biggest surprise from the opening week in the Big Ten Conference, specifically tied to the East Division, is Penn State and mainly that defense. They looked incredible against Wisconsin, really limiting what the Badgers were trying to do in the ground game outside of a couple of big runs from Ches Malusi, but they would had a huge bend but do not break ability, especially in the red zone, limiting Graham Mertz and that Wisconsin offense from being able to convert anything really on Saturday. And you can look out for a guy like Ellis Brooks, who was all over the field for the Nittany Lions. And I think Penn State State can be a reliable team in the Big Ten East. Are they going to knock off Ohio State at the top of the conference? No. Are they a top 10 team when the year is said and done? I'm still not entirely sure because I have my questions about their quarterback in Sean Clifford, but I do believe that Penn State is trending in a very positive direction in the Big Ten East this year. I guess the other team that you could look at that maybe people thought, okay, too good to be true. Indiana, IU did not look good in their performance on Saturday against Iowa. Obviously, Michael Penix Jr. looked like a shell of himself his first game since recovering from that ACL tear that he suffered at the end of last season against Maryland. Three interceptions in total, two of them taken back to the house by the Iowa Hawkeyes. I think people might think that Indiana will be a little bit on that slide again. And maybe the last two years, especially last season for IU, was a little bit too good to be true. I think Rutgers is going to be a team that competes with pretty much everybody within the Big Ten Conference and in the Big Ten East. And I would throw Maryland in that same boat. Maryland looked really good, especially offensively with some of their very explosive playmakers and Rakim Jarrett and Dante Demas. Talia Tungabailoa looked really, really good for Mike Loxley and company in a huge win over West Virginia this past Saturday. I'd also say, and I was a little bit out on a limb here prior to the season, that Michigan State looks to be a little bit more like we've become accustomed to in East Lansing, a complete overhaul of that roster, replacing pretty much everybody and upping it from a talent perspective. And Kenneth Walker III, the running back for the Spartans, is as real of a deal as they get in the Big Ten Conference. Michigan got a win, win over Western Michigan. We'll see exactly what that means for the rest of the year. A big test in the big house this upcoming Saturday, Saturday against Washington. But I think we'll get a little bit more what we're used to in the Big Ten East with Ohio State and Penn State kind of battling at the top. But I don't think there's any automatic wins specifically in that division for this year. I think everybody will be tested. Sure, Ohio State's probably going to be a three-touchdown favorite against the likes of Maryland or Rutgers or Michigan State, whatever you want to throw in there. But I don't think it's going to be an easy test each and every time. 
time. So I think it's going to be a very exciting division. And I think it will be a very competitive division, although I still give the edge to the Buckeyes because I will not be the one to jump in front of the train to say Ohio State will be knocked off before I see it with my own eyes. And I think that's a great point, too, about Penn State. I think they're a classic example of a team that, you know, really struggled last year, but still has a ton of talent on the roster. And I think probably went through more issues than we're even aware of with COVID and everything like that, that you're seeing already in week one, an ability to bounce back and, and, and get closer to that elite level that we're accustomed to seeing. Last question, just in terms of this matchup, Rutgers-Syracuse, what do you see happening this weekend? And if you're, uh, I don't want to scoop your own show, but anything in terms of uh, betting advice for this game? I actually think the number is really good on Rutgers. And here's what I mean by the number being good. A lot of times in betting, the sharpest sports bettors will tell you that you want to make sure you are on the right side of key numbers. And key numbers do not mean as much in the collegiate level of football as they might in the professional level at the NFL. But those key numbers are often three, which is a field goal, and seven, obviously, which is that touchdown. Rutgers is still on the right side of that number of three that if they were to win by a field goal, Rutgers would cover. So that is a big thing to know when it comes to the number. I still give the edge to Rutgers based on what I have seen, based on what I know of the Scarlet Knights from last year, in comparison to what I feel I know about the Syracuse Orange. So I think Rutgers can win this game, even on the road, as a favorite in the Carrier Dome. One thing to look out, though, for, if Noah Vedrill is inconsistent passing the football, Syracuse does have a very good secondary that would look to take advantage of any inaccurate throws. We all know I love my guy, Noah Vedrill. I covered him when he was in high school at Bishop Newman in Wahoo, Nebraska. I think he is the real deal. And I love the creativity they have as a part of this offensive scheme in Piscataway. So I give the edge to Rutgers. It is a good number. I would jump on this number now because I think I saw it open at two. It's already up by the hook to two and a half. If it gets past three, you might've missed your best number in what I expect to be a close and competitive game, but the edge, shh, don't tell Syracuse in the alma mater in the career development center. The edge goes to Rutgers. Well, Ben, thank you so much. And uh, I'll just make you feel better about uh, update myself that my last year at Rutgers, 1999, they went 1-11. and I lived through the Terry Shea era, and their one win was a game-winning field goal over Syracuse. So I had to <laughs> put that in at the end. Uh, but thank you for all your insight. You can follow him at, at Ben Scott Stevens on Twitter. He's the host of The Morning After on the Sports Grid, affectionately known as Big Ten Ben. Always appreciate it. We always had a blast talking to you previously. Thanks so much for giving us your time. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, Aaron, a ton of ton of fun. And do not forget what our deal was. One of the final episodes I hosted of Locked On Big Ten back in early April on the spring football tour was that if Rutgers makes it to a bowl game, we toast with a glass of scotch. So do not forget that either. That deal is still in place and hopefully it happens this winter. So thanks again, Ben, and uh, appreciate everything. Thanks a ton, guys. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Lance Glenn, former host, and uh, obviously uh, gave us great insight and his opinion on Rutgers. Always appreciate uh, what he has to say. And uh, Ben Stevens, formerly uh, covered the Big Ten for years and uh, is a Syracuse alum, so wanted to get his take on the Dino Babers era. Appreciate both of their time. Big game this weekend. I think, you know, uh, obviously uh, a huge opportunity for Rutgers to, to get off to an even better start and go into next week. Uh, potentially with an opportunity at 3-0 and with Delaware coming to town and setting up a potential huge showdown in Ann Arbor at the end of the month against Michigan. But of course, they have to take uh, care of business before then. Uh, I think the defense, you know, will really see how good they are and improved they are against a pretty uh, solid Syracuse rushing team. So I think that that's a huge key. And then obviously the bounce back game for Noah Vedrill. Can, can he bounce back? Can he show that he was just a little rusty in week one, perhaps even uh, with all the delays and the news of Gavin Wimsett coming. You can't blame him for being human. Uh, so we'll have to see how he bounces back. I think that's a real key, uh, not only for this game, but just for the trajectory of this season. Thanks so much for listening again. You can find all our coverage of Rutgers Athletics at onthebanks.com. This is episode 104. Thanks again for listening. And uh, a very exciting fall uh, already underway Stay tuned for everything uh, in terms of our coverage here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.